kia ngū te hoi i te wai. Move your paddle silently through the water. Tēnā koutou katoa e pahuri mai ana ki tēnei kaupapa o te pōnei i runga i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I'm Justin Murray and welcome to Te Ahikā on Radio New Zealand National. Coming up on the show... This is a, a beautiful kaupapa, I think. Seven wako travelling together, you know, brings back those memories of our, our ancestors sailing um, to Aotearoa nei and... Um, trying to get as much out of it as I can of uh, one of the experience of becoming one with the ocean and learning to work together as a team in extreme conditions and in beautiful conditions to to reach that goal which is uh, part of it is just about learning about ourselves how did our tūpuna traverse the oceans Afina Tumi, who at the end of this month will be in her element in an extreme way when she travels the Pacific Ocean on a 22-metre double-hulled waka te mātou a Maui. As part of that feature cordial today, we delve into the archive from 1992 when Hinare Te Ua stood on a beach in Te Taitokiro awaiting the return of Te Aurere from Rarotonga. The sound of the conch shells in the background... As the conch shells being blown, the kaihoi from Mātātua are walking past us now through this cleared area of the sand. This very hallowed occasion designated a marae. And Tauriri itself would only be about 70 metres away from the shore itself. In the background, Ngā Kaikaranga. The kaihoi from Mātātua now forming a guard, a guard of honour. And as Hardy Williams explained before, with a crew of Tauriri, until all the ceremonies, the ancient ceremonies, have been carried out, that they will return to being ordinary human people, if that at all will be possible for this magnificent crew of Te Aurene. Koe ara ngā kaupapa kōrero e haere ake nei. That's what's coming up in this edition of Te Ahikā. If you follow the river 50 kilometres northeast out of Whanganui, past Aramwana, Atene, Koriniti Marai, and the Kawana flour mill Turanana, you'll find Moriko Farm, one of the oldest, most successful Māori farming corporations in Aotearoa. Ten minutes from the farm is Jerusalem, where Catholic Order of Sisters are based. When Mariah was at the centenary celebrations for Moriko, she learned of the relationship between the sisters and the farm, stretching back to 1883. Kia ora. Kia ora. Kia ora, Sister Margaret Mary. Kia ora, Mariah. So you're from the... Jerusalem? Yes. In the settlement? Yes. yes we in live the church in, there? Yes, we live, in the old, uh, we live near the old convent and, and church. Because you're part of the Susan O'Bear Sisters of Compassion Order. Yes, part of the Sisters of Compassion. Yes. Now, which basically means that Muriko Nui Station is directly opposite you. Yes, I think it's up the back of us, really. Yeah. And yes, and, and of course, right along, it's a fair amount of area, isn't it? Yeah. So, Sister Margaret Mary, what's your relationship with Muriko? 
Um, as I understand it, the, um, we've had a relationship with the families that are behind Mordecai for um, since 1883, when Suzanne Obeah first came up the river. So there's been a long relationship, and the relationship now really is that Mordecai um, is very good to us. We have a relationship with Mordecai Station for 100 years. All those years ago, our sisters were up the river before they were. Paddling up the river. Paddling up the river. Um, three days it took Suzanne Obeah, staying in little huts. First one was um, Yupak, and then at Artane. I don't know where the other one was, but apparently at Artane they had to shoo the pigs out of the pen, and they slept in the pen. What was the attraction of settling up Jerusalem River? I'm not sure much it was an attraction for them, but they were called by the chief, um, Tefoti. And he, there had, there had been a Catholic mission before the Motua battle, and then it all collapsed because that French brother was killed. And then in eight, there's various stories, but the story I like is that um, <laughs> Taifoti went over by on a horseback to Hawke's Bay to Miani, where Suzanne O'Bear, who was called Sister Joseph, was. No, her name was Sister Joseph. And she was like an independent person attached to the Marist priests, like a third order, they called her, and um, a French woman. And he knew of her, her skills, really, with, particularly with um, medicines and um, healing, but also she was fluent in Te Reo. And the Sisters of St. Joseph, another congregation, were coming up. So she came virtually as a companion and... Um, an interpreter, because they were young sisters from Australia, 23-year-olds, and they Just came babies. up. babies. Absolute babies, that's right. And, you know, when you can imagine 1883, what the land would have been like, you know, tilling the land, and um, the sisters would have been really, the people would have spoke primarily Maori, and the sisters didn't have that, but Suzanne did, you see. And... Um, we never know what the story was, but the Sisters of St. Joseph left after 14 months. And Suzanne stayed on. And then by 1892, she was invited by the Bishop of, Archbishop of Wellington, Bishop Redwood, to... Uh, he founded our congregation, the Sisters of Compassion. But we're eternally grateful to the Sisters of St. Joseph, because if it hadn't been for them, we would never have had the privilege and the great richness of living up the river. And what are some of those rich experiences of being... How long have you been up the river for? This is my 11th year. Um, well, I think one of the great richness is just seeing the infrastructure that gets into gear at the time of a major event, like an unexpected tangi. Now, any differences in the community are put aside and everybody works together. There's a great spirit of mahitahi and everybody gets in and that infrastructure can take away anything. It's next to nothing. The organisation, I mean, feeding sometimes two or three hundred people a day and then on the day of the burial, even more perhaps, and then Having buried somebody, they have what they call a hakari, a big celebration, to come back into the light, having been in darkness. So the meal is kind of um, of banquet proportions. And it's, um, it never fails to amaze me. How they know. 
yeah, you know? the numbers of people that will be coming. Yes. Yeah, all the food. And it's, and it's all, everybody, everybody is welcome. Everybody is provided for. So it's a predominantly Māori community up there, isn't it? It is. It is, yes. So how many people are we talking? The little, com- you know, the, the community that's there all the time in Jerusalem, for instance, is only about 30 people. But that, um, you know, fun. mushrooms in size when anything is on, where people come home. About 30. So when Regulous. Susan O'Bear settled there, how many Māori were living there then? A few hundred. So that's your relationship with the community. What about with Moriko? Well, the sisters were there from 1883, so, and the sisters taught at Rānana. They had a community living at Rānana, down by the church there. So Moriko would have provided them with mutton from those early days and they continue to do that to this day. They would provide us, when I first went up the river 10 years ago, there was an expectation from Moriko that they would provide us with um, a mutton, I think they call it, a mutton, a beast, a sheep, every month. But of Did course, you get through that? No, that's the thing. We used to share it around all over the show, particularly with our sisters in Wanganui. And, um, but now it's um, mutton on demand. <laughs> Lucky. And it's, and that's right. And, you know, we have guests to stay sometime and we have a roast. And, it, and it's beautiful, you know. And people say, God, you're lucky. And we have sisters come up every year for retreats. And we always have at least one roast while they're up here. And they can smell it cooking from the minute they get up in the morning. But, you know, and they say, we never, we can't afford this at home. So we're very, very blessed. They're great benefactors to us. And um, we also know that if anything went amiss or we needed help, we could ring them. I remember ringing Dennis Ranganui when he was the manager and saying, Dennis, um, could you loan me Moriko's water blaster? Certainly, sister. When would you like it? Say in three days' time. And I got up at half past six, and he was outside attaching the um, water blaster and testing, doing a test run. And then he came, what's more, he came and picked it up when I'd finished. I rang him, so I finished with it, he came back. You know, things like that. It's sort of um, a lovely neighbourly relationship. So we're blessed. And you managed to have a cupcake and some nice kai tonight as well. Kapai, it's all about the kai. Kia ora, Mariah with sisters Sue and Margaret Mary of the Suzanne Orbit Sisters of Compassion, Sisters of St. Joseph. There are links to further information about the history of the sisters on our webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. Afina Tumi's enthusiasm for the ocean and waka journeys was encouraged by her cousin, who is something of a waka navigation fanatic. Once he was convinced she was serious about waka navigation, he put her name forward for Pacific Voyages, Temana o Temwana. So right now, uh, Afina and I are, uh, we decided to have a look at uh, basically what Afina will be seeing quite a lot of real soon. Afina, where are we? Kaitakaihau uh, Akupe or Castle of Beach, as it's more commonly known around here um, in Whanganui. Yes, and I've never seen it quite this choppy. 
<laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're going to be travelling in some pretty harsh conditions in July, I would imagine. Um, tell us about, uh, you know, where you will be navigating towards or what the trip entails. Um, now, I jump on board the waka Te Matawa Maui. It's one of his fleet of seven. And I get on there in um, Hawaii, and I'm sailing to San Francisco. So hopefully, you know, well, luckily in July, it's very lovely weather over in Hawaii. And I'm hoping that the moana will be a lot more kinder to us than it has been to some of my brothers and sisters who are out there on the moana um, right now. Um, and the, they started in Auckland. Uh, Nukuhiva is the first stopover. And from there they go to uh, Hawaii, and, and, and that's when I join them. Um, but this is a, a beautiful kaupapa, I think. Seven waka all travelling together, you know, brings back those memories of our, our, our ancestors sailing um, to Aotearoa nei and um, trying to get as much out of it as I can of uh, one of the experience of becoming one with the ocean and learning to work together as a team in extreme conditions and in beautiful conditions to to reach that goal, which is uh, part of it is just about learning about ourselves. How did our tūpuna traverse the oceans? Um, celestial navigation is a, is a huge kaupapa where a lot of our um, people have forgotten this art and this knowledge base that we had. We were wonderful ocean travelling people and um, there was vast knowledges of, of currents, of winds, of, of the moana itself and how it performed, and of course um, navigation by the stars and, and the sun, um, and even watching the clouds and the birds. Nature itself provided all of the clues that you needed to tell you where land was and how far away you were from it, etc., etc. So that's um, part of this huge journey that... I'm very privileged to be a part of. Hi, hi, kia ora. So we're at Castle Cliff Beach and we're amongst the elements, as you can hear. Um, Afina, are you are you nervous at all about what this um, journey on the um, on the waka is is going to um, entail, such as the elements, such as coping with the cold or the heat or dry skin? <laughs> <laughs> One is always concerned about these things as a female. Uh, no, um, and I must say that before I started reading the blogs um, that our whānau have been putting up on, on the website, yep. might as well plug that now, it's www.pacificvoyages, um, you can follow the, the whole journey and they're keeping a track of exactly where all the waka are at this specific moment in time, um, plus there's blogging every day happening from each of the waka. Um, but I started reading some of the blogs and the weather was, you know, it's, it was horrible horrible, huge seas and raining and all that sort of stuff and I started to feel a bit anxious then before I didn't I I think I have this um, I go through life with rose coloured glasses and <laughs> I see the glasses. best things and you know, so to me I, I see that the, all the things that will come out of this huge journey um, and, and braving the elements is just going to be one of those things that you have to do and I'm, I hope that um, I have enough of what I need to have, including layers and layers of clothing, to, to do, do it without moaning. That's Is there a specific list that you're told to? Uh, because um, what are you told to wear? We're, we've been given a list, you're quite right, of what the so sorts of clothes you need to be bringing. And, of course, it's got lots of thermals 
which I've, you know, and good thermals, merino and all that sort of stuff. So I've been out buying lots of merino um, to take to Hawaii, which seems strange. Um, so you, you've got lots of merinos, you've got wet weather gear. They give you a lot of things, like uh, the really good wet weather gear that you'll need on ocean-going um, vessels. Um, are given to you and your dress uniform and all that sort of stuff is given to you but you just need to make sure that you have enough kākahu for yourself um, that you have the right types of material because the, like they say cotton is rotten and wool is cool <laughs> uh, and nylon is, is pretty cool too you know because it's fast drying and, and it's not going to contain and, and hold that, that moisture right. that will keep you cold um, if you get wet and cold and wool, you're, you're still all good. Um, you should be able to grow food. But for me, I'm more concerned about... Because um, I have the utmost faith in the people that I'm going with. So that's why I'm not too concerned about the elements and things. I'm really good at... If someone tells me what to do, I'll go do it. <laughs> Especially if it's my life, you know, and somebody else's too. So I'm just going to be practical about it. They tell me what to do, I'm going to go do it. I have so much faith in them. They've braved worse seas than, than what we can see at the moment. And um, I'm just there to learn. But I'm hoping that I take enough um, rongoa, like um, trying to think of things like, well, just making sure I've got things like Panadol in case I get a bit of a headache. Night and day pills for if I catch flu. And you, you've still got to do your watch. You've still got to carry on. And uh, you can't just say, well, I'm sick today, I'm, I'm not coming in, sorry. Um, you've got to do your bit. So all that sort of things, and I'm getting a little, um, I want to take some homeopathic, like rescue remedies and all that yeah. sort of stuff that's good all around as Arnica. And then, like, my daughter, I saw her yesterday, she's a bit of a chef, and she was pouring pepper on her leg, oh. ground pepper. And I said, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's apparently ground black pepper coagulates the blood. So I'm going to take me a container of ground black ground pepper. pepper. Hey! <laughs> yeah. Thank you to your daughter for uh, showing mum that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just little things like that. I want to make sure I've got enough to just get through those sorts of things. And of course, as a female, you, you've got to be ever... I'm trying to train myself up with the mindset that I won't be able to just have a shower um, whenever I want a shower. Yep, of um, course. Yeah, because there's no running water on board our walker. Yeah. And yeah, the water is all around us, and it's and you, you, to, to, to use the toilet, you have to first get a bucket of sea water from the side, and then you take that in and you throw it down the toilet when you're finished, just like the long drop. Oh, no, 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 just like the ordinary toilet, you have a sudden influx of water which yes. forces everything yes. out. Well, it's just like that, so you, you tip the water down afterwards, that sends it out. Wow. Um, okay, Afina Kiorara. I think we're going to get into the car soon, yeah. right now, <laughs> and uh, continue our court at all. Yep, that's us. <sighs> the the waka that you will be on is what Temato Amawi, and how many people will be on that uh, that particular waka? There's, there's 16 people on each waka at any one time, um, because there's 16 bunks, <laughs> and um, oh, I read as the eight in each hull. Yes, yes. eight in each hull. And they try to get a nice even spread. They, of course, apart from your skipper who's who's constant, and we've got a a kai kuki, and that turns out to be my cousin. He's going to be the the uh, the cook. Oh, nice! He's a good cook too. Yeah. Um. So, the the more or less consistent. They try to get a mix of kaumātua of rangatahi, uh, or our elders and our younger generations, and then 
um, they want a mix also of male and female because everything that happens in this world there should be a male and female element to it. And when we get to other whenua, we need to be able to take care of our tikanga protocols and things in, in the way that we're used to. So we need our men to do our whaikōro, we need our females to do our karanga and, um, so that we can stand tall and, and carry on our tikanga the way that our tūpuna would have done them, regardless of which whenua they went to. There was always yeah. those things that they did. Um, so, so you'll be the kaikaranga <coughs> on your waka? Yeah, well, there's, um, I think there's two females on board at all times. Yeah, so there's me and a, a, an older uh, kuya. Well, she's a young kuya, I should say. She's only in her late 50s. Uh, early 60s, and she's very vibrant and mm. fit. I think that, I don't think she'd like to be called a queer. Uh, <laughs> so we go together. Would this journey be quite taxing on on our homats or what? On our elderly folk who come onto the waka? It could be. Uh, I think it could be taxing on anybody physically mm. and mentally. If you're not in that frame of mind where you think, well, um, I'm part of a group. And, and I can't have my personal hang-ups and sort of thing. Um, but there's a lot of physical stuff to be done that, that you need to just be prepared for. And, and I, I don't know really how that will be for our Kamata. I suppose you'd, you'd do what you normally do. You'd help them up out as much as they would like to be helped. Of but course. You can't over-help Kamata. Mm. I've learned that many a time. Mm. Um, you thinking that you are helping them by doing all their work for them doesn't help them they don't like that so you help them as much as they like to be helped and similarly so if you need help you ask for help and and you're going to receive it but 16 people on any one waka and there's some seven waka all traveling together Um, and they're not all manned by maori some of our uh, whanaunga from other waka because we didn't have that that knowledge base within our own to, to men completely. Uh, Tahiti has a waka called Fa'afaiti, Fa'afaite. And so that's meant by the Tahitians. Uh, there's a waka that the Samoa brothers and sisters men, and there's Ngawalofa. Ngawalofa. Right. And they used to have two. Um, one was for American Samoa, and the other one was for Western Samoa, but when the Taianifa um, uh, tidal wave um, hit the islands. Of course, they ha- have turned their their concentration towards um, getting everybody back up and on their feet in, in those rohe. So you, they gave the other waka back, and that one went to. Well, it's mainly manned by waka, Waikato now, oh. Honui, and there's going to be some um, other people on board too. And then there's uh, Cook Island waka, Marumaruatua. And a Fijian waka, Utunialu. Utunialu. Mm-hmm. And then there's Hinemuana, which is the one which has always been <clears throat> open to anybody from any of the islands. So Kiribati, Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, Tonga, Vanuatu, they all have a, a, some representation on these waka, and, and Māori have jumped on those waka wow. too. So, Afina, just to get a, um, a rough idea, because I know you're determined on you know, timings of when you go, but you fly out from Aotearoa to Hawaii yes. and then you um, ch- hop on the, not hop, then you um, go on to Te Matawa Maui, the right. waka, and then tell us about your, where do you go from there, from Hawaii? 
Um, we travel um, out to one of the outer islands first. Um, they've already gone around about three islands before I get there, um, maybe four, and then we'll travel out to one more where we'll all re reunite because some of the waka have been sent off um, to do different jobs. So that You know, you've got a waka landing everywhere. Um, instead okay. of all seven travelling, and that takes up more time, uh, we'll reunite on the last island and then we'll sail off from there to San Francisco. And that journey is expected to take approximately two to three weeks, depending on... Um, well, like we're looking at it, the one and now, depending on how, how it goes. The, the, probably the worst thing that can happen is that you get no no wind and I saw that in, in a couple of blogs straight after they had bad sea swells and, and all that sort of stuff and they were being smashed around by the ocean um, they had dead calm, dead calm. and oh. the, the only good thing that was from that was because it was really hot too was that they were able to dry a lot of their clothing and, and their bedding and stuff like that but the it meant that they can't, they're just floating and they're not going anywhere. So this will be powered by the wind, solar-powered motor and natural gas for cooking on the waka. Aye. And you mentioned that your cousin was going to be one of the uh, cooks. Yep. What do you envisage eating? Um, probably lots of rice and pasta. Um, so like, carbs. Yep. yep. you got to keep those up. Um, the, because we would have just reloaded... We'll have fresh fruit and vegetables, of course, um, until we get out and run out, perhaps. Um, but th they take canned um, beef and all, you know, um, fuzupo, corn beef, all that <laughs> <Corn> sort of. <laughs> and uh, you catch. You catch five? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you put the lines out every single day and, and you hope to catch them. Mm. Some eco as you're going along. They're not always fortunate. Depends on what the weather's like if you're going to catch. And of course, whereabouts because you have dead spots in the sea nowadays because of the pollution, where um, a lot of uh, our oceanic life isn't sustained as well as you would have. And of course, with the commercial fishing going on, there's not as much out there as you would have. But you catch what you can and you eat that as you go along. And they reckon that's the best thing is when you get a beautiful, huge fresh tuna or something straight off the side of the waka or a marlin oh. and they just eat it, eat it. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to, to that. I'll eat whatever is coming at me. You know, I'm Māori, let's be honest. I'm <laughs> going to eat it. You, throw it, at it. you throw it at me, I'm going to say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I might say is there some more, but uh, thank you. Um, and, and my cousin, he, he can cook. He can, he's a mean cook. I'll be happy for whatever Kai's going down, and I'll even be happy to help out cook, you know. I don't see it just as one person's job. Uh, we're all on that waka together, and, and we, we do what we have to do to get past and, and to help each other out. So, Afina, what is this um, adventure, really, waka adventure, you know, financially, what is it costing you? Um, apart from the, the giwas that you need to get to be comfortable on the, the waka itself, as in all your thermals and all that, it actually, it's very fortunate, it doesn't cost you a lot. Um, it's sponsored by um, Akionis. Oh. I don't know how to pronounce it really. It's A O K E A N O S. And it's, it's a, as far as I know, it's the Greek word, and that's why I'm not. Queenus. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> it's sponsored by them, and, and it's a. This is a company that's actually manned by a 
I understand he's a billionaire. He's a German billionaire, and his name's Dieter Pohlmann. Oh, this was the German man who um, was really concerned at the ocean environment. Yeah. This is why he started that. Yeah, now he went to a conference and he saw these wakahodua and he became interested there. And then secondly, he he was talking to, it turned out to be a Māori boy, who's um, about, this Māori boy had a a dream of being able to travel and, and to collate information and to get back to the knowledge base that we had. And so he... Uh, together they, they came up with this idea of, of these seven wakas. So Dita, um, he paid for all the waka to be constructed here in Aotearoa. They have a fibreglass hull, but apart from that they were made from traditional materials and in, the, in a traditional style, traditional um, shape, etc. And... Um, so he's paying for that. Then everyone that comes on board, they, the, the basic requirement that they need to have is a certificate, which is the like a learner's license on the moana, which is your day skipper license. Day skipper license. And so all of us had to do our day skipper license, and that was paid for yep. by the company. All you had to do was get to the places. Now, because I live in Whanganui, of course, it was a bit harder to get over to to Napier and then up to Tauranga for our wānanga that we're having. But that's the only real um, expenses travelling t- to our wānanga across the whenua. Um, I'll have to fly myself to Auckland and f- home from Auckland. But uh, they pay for your flights over to the to the area where you will start and they'll f- fly you home again. And, um, of course, you don't need accommodation when you're on a waka. <laughs> and they, they give a small allowance for those ones who are staying on the waka when they're on land so they can have uh, kai and all that sort of stuff. Yep. They can buy their kai, so they have a small allowance allowed there. The, the only thing that you were asked to pay was if at, at, for any reason you fell out of the kaupapa and didn't end up going, then you repaid um, the amount of putia that it costs to do your day skipper licence or those who went on to boatmaster's licence. Oh, okay. no, So if you went on to do further qualifications, you repay that amount, yep. um, which was fair enough. What about if you're on the waka and you're just like, oh, man, I'm just over it. <laughs> Let me off this waka. Now, that always is a concern. They said that they have had shorter sales before with younger people and and yeah. that um, and those of us like me, I haven't been out onto the, the, out to the ocean outside on the moana yet <clears throat> but um, if you get to that point and you're over it we're tough today basically you're, you're, you're just got to handle the gentle and wait until you get to the next place and they have had that instance where one person by the time they got to day four the rest of the crew wanted to strangle you know not not physically, but they they were just so hoha hoha with this one person that was because they were always oh I want to go home and oh I miss my TV and oh I miss this and you know but that's not what it's about um, and and they did ask me because I hadn't been out kiwahoi the moana they did say to me you know I don't want to take you out there and, and you want to come home I said I, I don't miss those sorts of things no I'm quite happy to. Um, to do without those sorts of things. For me, it's the experience being with people. I said, I have faith that you will get me to where I, I am going. And I'm a pretty cheery, happy, sort of dappy sort of person. If someone brushes me off, well, I'm going to say you brushed me off and we're going to get over it. 
<laughs> we're going to talk it out and we're going to get over it. Otherwise, I'm just going to carry on. If you don't brass me off, well, then we're all happy, you know. Um, and I'm not expecting to be upset. I'm expecting to be excited yes. and to be part of this and to just do what I have to do. Aki tō te tāo tōku māma, ko tainu i te waka, ko ruihine te pae maunga, ko rangitika i te awa, ko ngāti raukau te auki, te tonga te iwi, ko ngāti maramano te hapu, ko taumatau te rā, te marae, ko ngā pukapuka kere ama tōku kraua, ko hariata me kuega tōku kuia, ko putiputi kere ama tōku whaia, ko āwhina tū mea hau ki tō te tāo tōku pāpa, ko ina te tāe hāngai nei ki tēnei honga kaupapa, te mea nā tōna tōto au, eke ai ki nungi i te waka, nā reira ko takitimu te waka, ko aurangi te maunga, ko rangitika i te awa, ko Ngāti Henemanu, ko Ngāti Paki, ngā hapū, ko Winiata te marae, ko o taihape te rohe, ko Winiata te whāro, te tūpuna, ko Waimari e te ngā hua tōku kuia, ka moe e ki te te tangata no airihi, Ara ko James Tumi, ka puta mai ko tōku pāpa, ko Joseph Tumi, nā rena mihi kawatua ni kia kōta katoa. Kia ora, Afina, who leaves next week to begin her journey. If you want to follow the Pacific Voyages through their own blog, there's links on our webpage at radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. Afina, kia tau te manakitanga ki runga i a koe. Go well on your journey. Kei te pakarongo mai rā ki te ahika. You cannot mention traditional or celestial waka navigation without mentioning the name Heke Nukumai Busby. He tohunga Heke Nukumai te ao whakairo. Heke Nukumai is a master carver of waka haurua, double-hulled waka, and is the founder of Ngā Waka Federation. Between 1991 and 1992, he built the waka haurua Teaurere, which set sail from Aotearoa to Rarotonga, where her 12 crew attended the Pacific Festival of the Arts. That maiden voyage took 24 days to get into Rarotonga. Its journey back home to Aotearoa took just 18. In this archival recording, Hinare Teua joined a few hundred Māori to greet the waka on its return. this particular Thursday morning as we wait for Taurere. Are you surprised at this enormous interest, the old people, the young people, the, the haka groups and so on who are all waiting here uh, for Taurere? Yes, I am. I am because uh, when we first came here to build a waka, uh, there was a handful of people, but today, I don't know, there must be getting up about half, uh, four or five hundred people. There must be cars and people everywhere. So, yeah, I'm surprised, but I'm excited with them because I think the return of the Teodere builds that excitement and hope for tomorrow. A proud moment for the whole of Maridum, the whole of Aotearoa, in fact, perhaps. The whole of Maridum, the whole of Maridum. Well, somebody who's been here at Aotearoa Beach since yesterday morning is Hardy Williams, and Hardy has been just uh, relating some of the behind-the-scenes incidences which have been happening. In fact, I believe that Teodere was actually sighted at about 3 a.m., Hardy, is that right? Yes, no one here got any sleep uh, last night at all. I think the excitement of the moment, the intensity of it. But the Aurere was spotted about three, and contact was made. A, li- a fire was lit here called Ahika. The explanation of it by the elders was that in times past, in the olden days, when 
a war party or group came back, if the fire wasn't burning, that they knew then that uh, everything wasn't uh, right on the marae. So they had to land somewhere else and find out what was going on. So the fire was to give them the warmth, the signal that everything was okay at home, that uh, they were waiting for them to come back. But as they land on this Tokerau beach, the strip of land from where the uh, Aurere will be uh, beached, uh, the whole area will be tapu right through to the Paipai, the Taumata, it's called for this occasion. Now there'll be a guard of honour uh, lined on both sides with a kaihoe uh, to, to protect the, kai, the, the, the people coming in. But they won't be allowed to touch their children, their wives, their mothers, their relations until after the karakia, the mihi and the waiata and the tangi. Because when they left here, they left under tapu, the protection of tapu. That, you know, the ultimate um, sacrifice could have occurred, that, uh, that being with their tupuna and tapu and uh, death was very, very close. And so they've come back now and to remove that tapu and uh, to whaka noa, the process of noa, is when they touch their own children. So that's the ceremony here that's going to take place with welcoming home of Te Aurere. Hari Williams recounting some of his own personal experiences with Te Aurere and the excitement which was being generated last night as many hundreds of people gathered here at Aurere Beach to welcome back Te Aurere. But as I look out towards the open sea, we can see Te Aurere She's heading a flotilla of welcoming craft and she'd still be upwards of three parts of a kilometre away. But already the beach itself is with an incoming tide. There's not very much foreshore, as it were. And uh, already Ngāpō Wehi, who's so well known within Aotearoa's Māori cultural uh, area, he's got the different cultural groups drawn up on the sand. They've already had a quick practice with the Hakapōhiri they'll be performing. And no, no doubt that pōhiri will be done with full aplomb when uh, Tauriri gets a little closer. So she's already rendezvoused with the Wakatoa Mahatatua, which went out to meet her. And in the background, this Kapahaka group, this cultural group, who will be according the welcomes, are just going through the haka Toya made the waka drag this canoe ashore. Irirangi, Tahuriorangi, one of the great kaumatua of Aotearoa, New Zealand. This prized mere in one hand is, is obviously going to go down to the foreshorts itself in just a moment. Designated the marae, and Tauriri itself would only be about 70 metres away from the shore itself. In the background, Ngā Kaikaranga, the Kaihoe from Matatua now forming a guard, a guard of honour, and as Hardy Williams explained before, with a crew of Tauriri band, they'll still be under tapu, and it won't be until all the ceremonies, the ancient ceremonies, have been carried out, that they'll return to being ordinary human people if that at all will be possible for this magnificent crew of Te Aurere. 
now about 50 metres away from the shore, just one small breaking wave away from the seashore itself. members of Aurere. On this occasion they put on their, their dress jackets, green and white, and she's slowly approaching. It'll only be just a few moments before she actually returns to her own whenua, when she once again touches the soil of her own land. In fact, she's doing that right now. She stopped in the water, At this stage, the crew members of Odere are preparing themselves to walk off the superstructure led by Heganugumai Buhibi. And they're stepping into the water, the first three members of Odere. We managed then to speak with the Hekanukumaipuhipi himself, Hek Busby, who summed up what Te Aurere's voyages had proved. Well, the voyages proved that, uh, uh, that, uh, that they did it, and uh, they must have done it because uh, our, our, my, one of my own ancestors, uh, actually, uh, the, 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 the history was handed down that he went back. So uh, we actually uh, took that on and we got, we got to Rarotonga and we also got back. Uh, you know, and uh, the, the thing that really, uh, that I was, uh, uh, we've really proven that uh, the double hull canoe can virtually stand any, any kind of sea. And that, that's, uh, as far as I'm concerned, that's, uh, I'm satisfied, you know, uh, that, uh, that our ancestors, uh, they, uh, well, it's the same type of vessel that they had, uh, uh, so uh, they must have made it. Completed the voyage to Rarotonga, what was the voyage like back home for the crew? Well, it was plain sailing, and they were, they were, you know, they were averaging uh, 120 miles a day, just about right through till they, uh, till they got just out of uh, just north of New Zealand, and then this uh, uh, hurricane hit them, and uh, within within two hours, they were, according to the boys, within two hours from uh, normal sailing. Uh, they had these 45-mile-an-hour uh, 
uh, winds and uh, and up to 70, 70 mile an hour winds. And uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, they were thrown around and floating around on the deck. And one stage there, the, uh, the, uh, the thing was uh, just about uh, on its side. And then it flopped back down again. Lucky for them. But that's how big the seas were. So, you know, that takes a, a pretty good vessel to stand up to that, uh, that kind of uh, thrashing. What, what, what is the future for Terry Diddy? What, what, what other voyages are planned? Well, 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 our first voyage is uh, the run around, uh, uh, to go around uh, uh, the North Island go around the North Island, calling from port to port or marae to marae, you know, like uh, from, uh, we are hoping to do something from uh, after Waitangi Day. First call will probably be Pangare uh, and then uh, after that Auckland and so on and so on. Right, uh, right, um, right till we get down uh, to Wellington and then uh, come up the west coast. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take us, but uh, depending on the weather, depending on the weather, we might actually park up. Uh, if we get into winter, we might park it up for a while in one of the uh, harbors there and uh, and uh, wait for the weather to come right again and carry on. Heck, Busby and captain of Tauriri, Stanley Conrad. The time we, it's the season we took to travel from, from, from Rotonga to New Zealand was a, a, the right time. It's just a pity we uh, never never actually made it here, but due to a uh, cyclone, it, a storm that hit us, but uh, the, the timing was right because, um, you know, the amount of time we spent at sea at sailing, we covered over a thousand miles in good sailing weather. And, uh, you know, it was really good. And uh, I think we achieved that uh, aspect on that side. I think that we sailed and using those type of winds that uh, the migration path that the, our ancestors used was uh, like the path I said that they used the Tongan to use the, the route to Tonga and then from Tonga down to uh, New Zealand. So that path was actually the, the path that they used to travel from, from those islands down to, to Tautearoa. So, yeah. So what, you were sailing along and then you hit a storm and what, what happened then? Uh, we just sustained some damage with the canoe, but other than that, the canoe held up to, you know, minor damage. Uh, we just got blown off course and due to the, the direction of the wind, which was blown from, from Aotearoa, we couldn't go back into the wind. So it was almost three days, night and day, 24 hours a day, the storm hit us and uh, a lot of energy gets drained out of the crew, keeping the canoe, you know, stable and keeping it afloat due to the... Um, the, the, the power of the, of the storm. You've now got a crew with some 42 days experience at sea. How do you rate them? The best thing is um, I compare them and um, this is true with my um, tutor navigator with Nainoa. The, the time those, the, this, this crew has spent at sea, it covers for the amount his crew have spent years at sea and these crew have spent so much, a shorter time at sea but they gained so much experience due to the weather systems that got thrown at them, different types of weather. They gained more experience than what his crew had because his crew never sort of witnessed this type of weather ever and I don't think they ever because of the climate there. They're up there so warm and down here so cold. Can I remind you of what Nainoa was saying about Rotonga? He was saying that the whole voyaging Pacific Islanders were like being on a great bridge 
that one end of the bridge was locked into the past now a thousand mm. years ago in our ancestors voyage over at the Monanui Akiwa you virtually are on the center of that yeah. bridge and he's looking at the future that what you do now is going to make sure that bridge reaches over into, into eternity you know is, is that too philosophical or, or is this something that you think that this voyage Waitaurere can really bring about well you know this this route that we did to 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 New Zealand to Alta to Rarotonga um, like I used to, I work in a forest and you know we open old tracks and I say say this to you know, the same sort of thing that Nine is going on is that you know it's a, it's, it's an old road that's been covered with vegetation you know and road cover you go through and open it up again and clear the road because this is what we did with Oedere. we opened one route that's been closed so long that it's there it's been used but for us 700 years later we have gone and opened reopened the track again and now whatever country wants to be built can use that route because it's you can be we've done it and that's why i know that mo was a fantastic help to Oedere. you know how how much credit do you give give to that guy for his knowledge of celestial navigation and his whole he is it were i give him so much credit because you know if it he is the start he is the father of this this, this whole um cope up on on voyaging canoes he's the he's the he's the father of the whole lot he's the one that started it all and uh you know like i said anything that that the man needs uh, if he wants from me i'll give it to him because he's, he's really the father of the, of the, of the voyages. I spoke to you at Ngātanga year when Hokulea was being ready to sail back to Hawaii. And I know that you were very sad because you spent 70 years aboard Hokulea. Now that you've done this, this voyage back to here, which, which uh, Hokulea did back in the early 80s, how do you feel? Oh, I feel, you know, it's like how Hokulea started in 1976. It's the starting of, 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 of bigger things to come with, uh, with, with Tauriri and maybe with another waka we make. Stanley Conrad, and we join all who give thanks for Te Aurere's completion of two major voyages following the traditions of the ancestors. And technical help this morning has been from John Jones. I'm Henare Te Uwa, Aotearoa. A 1992 recording there with Henare Te Ua talking to Graham Latimer, Hardy Williams and Hekenuku Mai Busby at Te Aurere Beach in the Northland awaiting the arrival of Te Aurere Waka. Thanks for hitting us up on Facebook, Fano Ma, to tell us about what you've been up to for Matariki. Earlier this month in Waitakere, a who's who of Māori singers gathered to pay tribute to the late Hirini Melbourne. The night... Matariki Knight, Hepofakanui, also shed more light on a project by his niece, Piata Melbourne, and Natapa Black to produce a CD and DVD of Rangatahi or youth interpretations of Hirini Melbourne's music. We'll be following this up in upcoming Tiahika and in today's programme with one of his waiata. Engari imui tena, but first, here's Afina Tumi with this week's Fakatoki. Kia ngū te hoi i te wai. Move your paddle silently through the water. You shouldn't be impacting on any other thing in the world when you want to accomplish something, so this is your low impact. Kia ngū tō hoi i te wai. Next week, I'm with Jenny Hickman, who explains the traditional use of native plants for fibre, rongoa and food. 
Ki ngā kai rā wikiwiki mihini, ka mau ki te wehi himihia tūtine ki ngā kai kōrero. Mai te whanua tiahi kā kia tātou katoa. Mauri ora.